Welcome back, everyone. We're in season two, and I have my first recurring guest, which is Emma Johnson. Ooh, Ooh she was in season <laughs> one, and now she's in season two as well, and that's because she's doing such big things, and I love it. So in the summer of 2020, you conducted a survey. I'm super pumped about this survey, and then your following white paper. The research that you did and what you have found from your survey is really amazing, and I'm so excited. So. Emma is here to talk about the survey and her white paper and Moms for Shared Parenting, which is new concept. It's normally dads. Now it's Moms for Shared Parenting, and I love it. Okay, right. So the survey. So I'll start with usually not the stat that I uh, usually start with, but Moms for Shared Parenting. You said it's a new concept, but nine out of 10 of the moms that I surveyed, is 2,300 single moms answered. Nine out of 10 of them said that they felt they could make more money if they had more equality in their co-parenting relationship. That is new information, and I love it because the Forbes article that just came out echoes a lot of these exact same sentiments, and uh, this is getting a lot of attention about the gender equality, which is something that's very interesting because shared parenting has always had an interesting relationship with women's rights movements. And so talk to me about what is your opinion after having the experience that you have and what you've been doing before this survey and then having the 2020 survey, what is your opinion? There's a lot of confirmation bias. <laughs> so I have Wealthy Single Mommy, which is a very large platform, a blog and social media platforms and email that is all about single moms. I mean, I'm interacting with hundreds of thousands of single moms every year in various forms. And so I'll just tell you from over the last 10 years since I've been doing this work with single moms, I started my divorce journey. I was the primary parent. I had been a stay-at-home mom. I just signed up and I live in New York, which is a I think an extreme version of our divorce culture. It is probably the most lawyers per capita. It is a very litigious culture here. And I just, you know, you're in trauma, you're leaving a marriage, it's horrible. And you go to the experts who are going to tell you what to do because you don't know what to do. And all the experts, you pay them lots of money to tell you to be an asshole, basically, and to fight for all the money, to fight for the time with the kids. And that was the message I had all around me. That was my childhood. That was our culture. So I just did that. And then I had the benefit of having these many, 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 many data points of working with single moms for the following 10 years and having my own evolution. So through all of that, reading all of the research, having all these anecdotes and then living through it from my own family, it was clear to me, giving moms all the time is not a feminist effort that serves women none, right? We know we cannot have equality in the public sphere, whether it's in pay in leadership positions in government in sports, we cannot have equality there if we do not have equality at home. And for separate and divorced families, equality at home means your co-parenting schedule. And here we have court-sanctioned sexism. We are like, okay, moms, you get 80% of the time. Congratulations, you won divorce. But really, we're losing at life because now we have the overwhelming burden of raising children. And joy, of course, but the burden. That's why there's the pay disparity between men and women in after divorce, the single parents, single moms, single dads. So I was pretty clear that this was what I was going to find. There was no research. All the research was on child welfare after divorce. Super important. Absolutely critical. There's research about what keeps dads involved and what's good for dads. Critical, super important. It's still very under-researched and under-reported. But there was nothing about how women were faring in terms of their own earning. There's some research about how they're faring economically, but that was always focused on child support and alimony and welfare. How is that serving anybody? It's like, yay, congratulations, women. You're dependent on small sums of money from men. Big deal. 
So again, I could see anecdotally, this was true. Moms with more equality in their co-parenting relationships were just doing better. They just, to me, seemed like they were earning more. They were really proud of themselves. They had time to date. They had time to relax. They could Netflix. They could hang out with the girlfriends, whatever was important to them because they had 50% time free from their kids. So I set out to quantify it because there wasn't the research. And that is exactly what we found. A direct correlation between equality and time sharing and women's income and their well-being. So one data point, moms with 50-50 schedules are 300 times more likely to earn $100,000 a year, 300 times more likely to earn six figures than moms with 100% time with their kids and more than 200%, twice as likely to earn six figures as moms with a unequal co-parenting. So let's say every other weekend with dad, like the traditional schedule. And that was those same trends played out for lower income women. This was not specific to just high earning women. Okay. So this was not, that's one of the biggest questions that I had was what is the span that this covered of demographic, especially when it comes to financial income. And so essentially what you're saying is across the board, the statistics are the same. They do vary, but the trends are the same that the more equality equals more earning power because reality is, I mean, things do shake out differently when, if you're married or you're not married by race, by education, these things are going to vary. But the attitudes were very consistent. So moms across the board, no matter the income or education race, there was just a connection between their kid-free time and how much they felt they could earn and achieve professionally. And also how much they felt in terms of one question that we asked is, how do you feel about being a single mom? So it's like, I feel overwhelmed, but I'm proud that my kids are seeing me do my best. I feel like a total hot mess and I'm really ashamed of where I am. Or I feel awesome. You know, Not that many moms said that. I don't know that I would say that myself. But it was, again, their sense of their well-being as a mom and what they were displaying their kids and just overall happiness, again, was correlated with their co-parenting relationship. Because I think, one, our sense of ourselves and our success is very connected to our financial stability. It's not just we earned a certain title or we hit some landmark, you know, threshold income. Yay, it's exciting to say I earned six figures. When you have financial security, you're not worried about paying your mortgage. You feel like you've got a little savings in the bank. That affects your well-being. I mean, that's very established by the research. So that affects how well you feel about your being a mom. And so just to kind of highlight some of the surveys. So there are 16 million single mothers in the United States. One third of all children or 24 million kids live with a single parent. Moms with 50-50 parenting schedule are 54% more likely to earn at least $100,000 annually than moms whose kids are with them most of the time with, quote, visits to dad. 13% or one in eight single moms have 50-50 arrangement. That is such a small percentage. I love that I have this stat now to be able to use because that is such an important stat. 98% of them are content with it, of the 50-50 arrangement. Moms with 50-50 parenting schedules are more than three times, 325% more likely to earn $100,000 than single moms with 100% time with their kids. I mean, this is just really amazing. And then We think about equality, which is something that is a big deal in our world today. And I think about my own childhood and just what it would have meant if my parents would have had me with equal amount of time, just what that would have done to balance the power. There were so many times that my dad felt like he had no say because he was the, quote, secondary parent. That creates such a stigma and it creates such a problem. And then 
you know, my dad went on and he created his primary life since he was told that I was his secondary life. And then, you know, now I have all these abandonment issues that I've worked through and (laughs) wonderfully now created this podcast and are on this mission. So somewhat excited about that, but still trying to save it for the rest of everyone else. So What do you think we should draw from this? And what is now the mission? I mean, my mission is awareness. I think yours has been that as well. These are amazing statistics. And so many of my clients who are moms do not want to give up that time. They do not want to have the, what they feel like is a stigma of having 50-50 custody. So can, what do you, where do you think that stigma comes from? Oh, it's very real. And I want to be very empathetic to those women because I get it. I was there. We are in a society that tells moms that since birth, well, one from birth, we are told we are by biology built to make me, and we are, you know, I have a womb. I've used it a couple of times. It was served me well, very grateful, right? We, you know, our biological destiny is motherhood and that should also be our primary fulfillment. That is how we serve the world. And that is how we serve ourselves and our serve our families is as women, as mothers. And many of us do feel that to be true in many ways, but it is also important to recognize that that is Maybe that is something that we do genuinely connect with, but it is also very much nurtured from our very sexist, effed up society. And there's a price to be paid to buying into that 100%. We can see, we come into talking about equality, and I think we're becoming very clear and it's becoming more widely recognized. Equality, we always talk about the pay gap, which is a very nice way to understand equality because it's very clear. There is a clear number. We all understand income. You know, we know how much we make and how that affects our lives and our stress and how we feel about all of those things. This is a very personal number. That is one of the reasons I think it's often used as the singular measure of equality. So let's just talk about the pay gap. By every measure today, women are outnumbering men in high school graduation, college enrollment, college graduation. When men and women enter the workforce, they earn the same now. This has been true for more than a dozen years. But as we go up the income ladder, the pay gap starts to happen. Men earn more. Men are in higher position. And why does that happen? It is not because some like bro in the C-suite or an HR is like telling the ladies they have to stay in the secretarial positions and pats them on the butt and gives them, doesn't give them a raise. That's not what's happening. Women are dropping out. They play small. They don't go for the promotions. They don't go on to the higher education where they would get the promotion and the raises. They're dropping out and scaling back. We hold ourselves back because we want to stay home full time or we don't want to have those long hours that would increase it. And those are real. We do not have a child care, a sustainable child care system in this country. We have a culture that pressures women to do that. We tell each other that we're lousy moms and therefore lousy people if we don't spend all these hours with our kids. And we don't put the same pressures on men. And therefore, men, even if they have paternity, they don't take it. Even if they do have a great job where they can be taking a lot of sick leave to just equal that emotional labor load at home, they don't take it because they're not respected at work or they feel that they're not. So these pay gaps are becoming a lot more nuanced, right? Once upon a time in our parents' time, when our parents were going through those divorces and our moms were making hard decisions, the equation was very different. But I really think it's on people like you and me to educate women and men both about really what's happening. So to your point about the shame, I mean, there's a a guy that is an activist in the Equally Shared Parenting Movement, and he told me he started off his co-parenting journey. The kid was like a baby, very young. And his ex was like, oh, you're a great dad, like very much recognized him as his role as a father. And it was okay. But as they went along in the court process, 
she became very malicious, fighting tooth and nail to have primary time. And he took her outside outside of court one day. He's like, what? What is going on? Why are you doing this? And she said, just think about how bad it would look if I didn't have primary time. And that's what it is. It's such a big stigma. And it's And even in the reverse of that, in my world, so I've gone on, I have multiple firms, I have a lot of management responsibility, I've had multiple businesses throughout my life, and even my own parents, when I had a relationship with them, they would always say, well, you've made your choice, you won't be able to have a family because you have decided that you're going to be a professional. And I'm like, I'm 30, like at the time, I was 30. I'm like, uh, based on all actuarial tables that I've looked at, I've got a pretty long way to live and I can still produce children. Like, I don't understand why I've chosen, you know, there has always been like, you either choose your children or you choose your career. And that has been the pressure that we've kind of been assigned. And it's so interesting that, but we take that and we carry it because I have so many clients who are professional working women and they're like, no, 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 I still have to have primary custody. And I'm like, but I don't understand. How are you going to juggle all of that? But if I don't, my friends will, they'll judge me. And I'm like, but then be the change you want to see. That's where I'm going to call those women. And I will have lost. I will have lost. I will have lost. And I'm like, how will you have lost? I don't understand. Your children will lose because they won't have as much time with their dad. They won't understand half of their identity. You know, children need to be exposed to that other person so they can see who they are and understand who they are. And figure out where they came from. And, and all of that creates a sense of self and awareness and understanding. And they miss a lot of that time with their dad. There's another very important piece of science that I hope that you can share. It really, I just came upon out recently. It's Dr. Fabricius in Arizona. And it's around this idea that it's not even just the hours. The number of hours are less important than the fact that it's 50-50. Because we know, we know that when men are marginalized in their kids' lives, they tend to check out. And that is just that's the worst. We have to, we have to prevent that. Yes. So we know that. So, okay. That's reason for 50, 50. But when it comes to the kids, it is not so much the number of hours, which is important to your point. When they know that it's 50, 50, they're less anxious. They're less depressed, not just at that time, but for the rest of their lives, because it gives them the intellectual security that their dads are not going to leave. Yes. That they know that signals to them that my parents are equal. They both are equally committed. Yes. To me. They equally love me and they're here for yes. me. Yes. So this is the message I have to those moms because I'm speaking to myself. Dial the time machine back 10, 12 years. Right? This is what I would say to myself. And that's what I would say to would say people. We're like rich white ladies. We have all the power in the families in the world. And I'm calling on my peers here to be the change you want to see. If you're a professional woman that is going through a divorce, you have an opportunity to change the culture in your friend group so the next mom doesn't have to go through that. So you don't have to spend how many hundreds of dollars an hour with poor Ashley here trying to talk some sense into you. You can be the change you want to see. So here's the research. We will share with you the research. That's what you, Ashley and I are here to do. But what I want to tell you is how many times in a day or in a week are you stressed out and overwhelmed? and complaining that your kids are too much. We have a solution, 50% with a dad. How many times do you resent him because he doesn't do the, his share? Well, guess what? You just set it up for him not to do a share. You established he will never, ever do a share. What do you get out of holding that over his head all the time? You are perpetuating this woman as victim. Do you want your daughter to grow up and, and believe that? Do you want your son to grow up and to fall into this paradigm, this narrative again? No, we can do better as a woman empowered that has the luxury, it is a luxury to hire a lawyer to work through this. Yes, Most single moms don't. 
Exactly. It's a total luxury. So use this to be the change for all of us, not just the women in the room, not just for your friends that are going out for margaritas and complaining about your bum ex-husband. I'm talking about for the women that can't afford to go to the lawyer, the women that can't even afford to go to court. Be the change for them and really make systematic cultural changes for equality. That is the message that I want to share. 100% agree. And one thing that I want to note for women that I don't think that they 100% see is, okay, let's say you got your the primary parent, father's the secondary parent, you feel like you've won. Now you have this child support order and you feel good about your child support order because now he's paying you for the time that you're taking care of the children. Well, one, that child support, if I break down the expenses of what a child costs to my client and then calculate 50% of all of that and then show them what their child support figure is, it's never the same. You could also just put in the document, we will split all expenses 50-50 and enumerate what all of those expenses are. Clothes, extracurricular activities, unreimbursed medical expenses, camp costs, summer costs, school costs, private school costs, anything that you want to put, we can put it in there. And you can split all of those down the middle. You can say, we have an equal responsibility here. Or you can receive one figure based on a state guideline that's not the same amount. And then, yes, you feel like you've won because you've gotten primary custody and child support. But what if he decides not to pay? then you're having to go into contempt hearings 24-7 to be able to get him to give you the money. What if you don't have the money to continue to go forward with these contempt hearings? You've made yourself completely reliable on or all that you are able to have as yours is this child support that he's supposed to be giving you. You have no ability for yourself to support yourself. You've become completely codependent on your child support. And if he stops paying it, how do you have the money to have someone represent you to be able to effectuate your rights that you were able to be given when you fought so hard for it. It's a cycle. So many people get called into this. And you know, can I get them for contempt? Can you go to court and get contempt? Yes. How long is that going to take you? Eight months. What are you going to do between ground zero and eight months when you get your hearing date and you haven't gotten your X amount of dollars per month and child support the whole time? You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, what I want to say to women is when you're going through it and I went through it and I, have, I still don't have a great relationship with my ex-husband and it is a trauma. And I want to recognize when you are in trauma, making giant life decisions, giant, giant life decisions, what you feel like you want right now is part of grieving your old life. So maybe you enjoyed a comfortable financial life. You enjoyed having another person in the house so you could run out for an errand or run out to yoga Right. There is a lot of things that you are losing. It's a very human and very understandable to want to figure out how to hold on to those, right? Like replicate that financial, your idea of financial security or replicate that power over the kids or whatever it is. But I want you, and this is where I know, Ashley, you're very good at helping women see the long game because I couldn't see that. It's like, took me like one minute to get outside of my divorce when I'm like, what the hell was I arguing for? Like now I've got these little babies with me all the time. I can't go to the gym. P.S. You're going to want to go date. And sooner or later, you're going to want a guy to stay over. So how are you going to do that if you got the kids all the time? You're going to want to go on a vacation with your girlfriends for a week. How are you going to do that if you have won your divorce and have the babies around all the time? And it's very, if not impossible to see that when you're going through that trauma that you would ever want to date or you'd ever want to break from your kids because it feels like you're losing so much. Listen to the people who have been through it. Listen to your expert attorney if you have a good one. And we are here to tell you, you will. I am serving you by telling you, look at the long game. 
And while you're thinking, oh my God, I cannot make my mortgage this month and I need that $800 or even if it's five, whatever tax, $5,000, I need it. Then you are limited at 5,000. You're limited at 800. That's all. Like your energy is focused on 800 bucks. But what if you took that out? And I'm like, the sky's the limit. You take that 800 bucks and you can make $8,000 a month. You can make $80,000 a month. You're so powerful. You can make anything happen. Women are so powerful. You and can do it, but you have to let go of this idea that someone owes you because then you're dependent. 100%. You're, you're dependent and I want more for you. And there's another scenario. So there's the mother who's like, okay, well, he's a surgeon. And so my kids are going to be with a nanny. Like what in the world? My kids are going to be with a nanny for 50% of the time. And I'm like, okay, let's play this out. And I've had this happen so many times where I was able to convince my client who was the mother that it was still important for that to happen because one, it shows dad cares enough about me to be able to organize everything around my schedule so that he can still have time with me as much time as mom. He cares so much that he's so busy at work, but yet he makes sure that he has someone who's picking me up from baseball and transferring me to soccer and getting me home to have snack so that I can then do my homework. He's lined it all up and he's checking in the whole time to make sure that it's going smoothly. That means something to children. It also means that you, are you going to meet a new man and have another child and have a life? Well, then while your child is spending time with their dad, you're getting on with your life. You're vacationing with your new husband. You've started a new career. You're following your dreams. You have a passion. You're involved with charity and you're doing that work. You're also modeling for your children that you're 100% okay, that they're 100% okay with their dad that you're able to show them what it looks like to go through conflict, build from it, and become bigger and better on the other side. You're modeling that for them. And then if you're starting a new family, you have time for that family to get that family started, to invest in that relationship, to get that relationship off the ground without sacrificing your time with your child. So if you're trying to rebuild a relationship, yet you have your child 90% of the time, it's hard. Then the child feels like they're in conflict with that person. And then also when they go see the other parent that they only see 10% of the time, they're in conflict with that person because they feel like they're battling for that time too. And they don't feel any stability from that. Right. And it's also modeling gender equality. Yes. Because given, if we don't actively try to restructure these families, we all just as humans, guilty as charged, slip into gender stereotypical roles. And if the moms are constantly the ones that are managing the child care and or the nanny and the household and she's got the lesser career and she's not dating but the dad's got the big surgeon job and he's free and he's now got to be like we're never going to get women that to be surgeons and we're never going to get dads to be equal parents and do their share of the housework around because they don't see it it's just organically not modeled for them as children so if we just split that thing down the line and he's got to fend for himself like most dads have not had the job of managing a household by themselves. It's not rocket science. People of every single age and income level and education level can figure out how to run a household and raise a kid. It's not rocket science. It's not. But when you relinquish that little bit of control, you start to see. And you know, one of the most amazing things with my clients is that they always come back, the mother clients who are very upset about this, that I eventually convince because of my own childhood, you know, that it doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. You don't, I don't want you to be going crazy over you know, if your schedules can't exactly align it to 50-50, but as close as you can. And when they come back and they're like, oh, it's amazing. He really showed up. Like he actually rose to the occasion and my children have such a great relationship with their dad now. And before he was never around. 
you were like, oh, no, I got it. 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 I got it generally, you know, and not always. And then whenever you're finally like, okay, I've got some boundaries for myself. I need you to like step it up a notch and like be present. Then he's like, oh, you know, and gets it together and it's magical. And the children are so rewarded with that. It's amazing. And then everybody's rewarded. He is. And you have a supportive co Yes. It's not just like, oh, like he can manage making the dentist appointments. That's cool. But it's like these smaller things that are so beautiful where you're just like, you can come together and love the children together. And I felt like that was a big loss that we, a lot of us suffer as single parents. It's like the positive stuff, like just a little kids say, say these little wonderful things all the time and watching them grow up is so delightful and challenging, right? It's equally right. challenging and equally challenging. But if you have somebody that you can even just text, like I think about, like there's been times, like just little things where my ex and I will just like laugh about together. And it's such a beautiful thing that somebody, because he loves it. No one else loves them as much as I do. And it's also the things like, I mean, there's been a number of times when my kids are like, I don't know, like my daughter was pulling a bunch of baloney and like lying at school or her teacher. And I was like, get off here. We got an issue. And my ex is over to my house and we sit down and like the two, the adults gang up on the kid. It's a lot more powerful to have two adults gang up on a kid than one. And it's, if you have that kind of trust where there's that equality and you're not constantly posturing for the upper hand, you're just so much more effective as a team. So much more effective. And you're modeling respect, which allows your child to have self-respect. If the two parts that make up a genetic code hate each other, then a child is like, my self does not respect itself. It makes sense to them that I am in conflict. But if they just have some mutual respect, then a child can really start to generate that self-respect for itself, which is another just amazing side effect of this, which is, it's really beautiful, like you said. And no one's going to love the child more than the two parents, your other person that helped you create this little being. They also really love this little human that the two of you created. And to be able to have that, like you said, that conversation and have any of that is just so much better than this scenario, which is what I had to deal with. It's like my life died before the point that my parents divorced. Nobody talked about it ever again. My childhood was never discussed. It's like, they didn't ever want to talk about it. Like it never existed. And they wanted their other, their new person in their life to believe that this part of their life never existed before them. So then it's like my whole life just started to disappear. And I didn't have any siblings. So I didn't have anyone to keep that relevant, to keep my past, my history relevant. And that's another thing. Whenever you hate each other so bad, you just want all that to go away. But if you don't, if you're able to generate some type of respect for one another, if you have 50-50 shared parenting. You don't go through a full out three-year battle and then the judge give you 50-50 parenting anyway, which happens in a lot of scenarios. Then you're able to not have to pretend like that child's life just never existed before the moment you got divorced. And it's something that really generates there. you too. Yeah. You probably love that. I mean, 99% of the time you really love that person and have a lot of good memories and it's helping you honor your own history. Yes. Right. Not just for your kids, but for yourself. Yes. And to model, that was part of my life. I grew from it in these ways. I learned these lessons and now I've moved to part six of my life, you know, and to be able to show your child that that's possible makes them believe that it's not like, oh, well, that it's over and the world just ended and it all was burned to the ground and the ashes were there and nobody remembers that previous. Then now we've modeled horrible conflict resolution. 
Anyway, I love your survey. I'm really pumped that you were able to come back on. I love the direction of how everything is moving. I do feel like we're in the middle of a movement. And I think that our voices are really starting to help people funnel in the right direction. Right. I'm, I'm really excited. This project, I mean, it was one of my goals is to really help position what you and I are saying in terms of like a mainstream feminist issue. Because it's very, it's very common sense. Like once we say these things, it's not like we're like, oh, the more equality you have, the more you can invest in your career. I mean, that's not hard to argue. Like people get that just right off the top. But it's a loaded thing and it can follow a lot. Yeah you know, political lines and geographic lines and all of these things too. But I mean, I'm kind of, we got Forbes this week, probably by the time this publishes, Elle Magazine is running something I wrote, doing some stuff with some network news. So it's, we're really just, it's really just reporting on what's been happening. I mean, this is becoming mainstream. As you know, you work in the national movement. Like this is, women are getting it. Family courts are getting it. Lawyers are starting to get this. This is the new future. And that is the one thing I know we're running out of time, but our kids are not going to grow up with like fighting tooth and nail for a few more minutes of time. Like this whole thing is passe. This is our grandparents' generation of family. Yes, it is. So how are your kids going to judge you in your divorce? Because they're going to grow up. They're going to be talking the talk that Ashley and Emma are talking. They're going to be singing our song. So you're like, oh no, but I needed like... 35, 64, whatever the numbers are, because at once, because that one time your dad didn't wash the dish soap off or that one time, whatever that one time was. He can't do the night routine like me. He doesn't do the morning routine like me. They'll never make it. And your kids are going to be like, mom, that's effed up. And I'm judging you for it. One other tidbit. If you take out school, take out all the time they're in school, then split the rest of that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's talk real numbers then. And remove all the time they're in school and then split the rest of the time. If you start doing that, like I started doing that to help my moms and sometimes the dads who are stay-at-home dads conceptualize what this means. If you do that, then you're at least splitting more real time, time that they're actually spending with their parents, you know? So that's one other tip. But anyway. That's the other thing I want to point out because people are like, oh, I feel guilty. But we don't feel guilt about sending our kids to school because that's just like a societal, even government mandated thing. Exactly. So we have no emotional attachment to that at all. We're, I mean, we can't, get, can't push those kids out the door, especially Bye-bye. pandemic. <laughs> right? We were all overwhelmed. That's the thing, moms. We've been so overwhelmed with having our kids around during pandemic. But guess what? What if you could have them 50%? Like, it's just listen to yourself. Listen to your body. Listen to your frustration. There's an easy solution right around the corner and Ashley will help you get there. So tell us about, I, I, we're going to have the link to the actual white paper that you have, but also where else, I know there's the Moms for Shared Parenting. That's something that you started. So just give the listeners links and ways to be able to find you. Yeah. So, well, let's see. Um, I have momsforsharedparenting.org, which has you know some of this activist work. My main business is Wealthy Single Mommy, which if you're becoming a single mom, that's just a general over big site about dating and career and parenting, all of the things. I wrote a book with Penguin, Kick-Ass Single Mom. So that's on Amazon. And that's just a good overview. But I talk a lot about the importance of equally shared parenting, the importance of prioritizing your career, letting go of child support. I don't think there's really no room for child support anymore in 2021. Definitely not alimony. Don't even get me started on alimony. And freeing yourself from all this mom guilt and shame around dating. You're an adult woman. It's not like your kids are going to marry their high school sweetheart. They're going to have multiple sexual partners and date multiple people. They're probably not going to get married. So feel free. Like go model healthy dating, right? Let your kids see you go on a date. You know, I have wonderful memories of my single mom getting dressed up in her like 
chunky gold earrings in the 80s and doing her hair. And the dads, this was in the 80s, like guys that she'd meet come over to the house for a first date, like people she didn't know. She'd meet them on the page, she called them paper dates before online dating. She'd meet them in like ads in the back of the paper. Like that's how people date. In our small town in the Midwest, and they come to the house with like flowers on a first date. And they, my mom's all like pretty and like flirting with that. And it's just nice. I have such nice memories of that. Really positive. I remember that too. And like Valentine's Day, my stepdad, when my mom was dating him, like he left her a big box of chocolates and me a little box of chocolates in the seat, you know, and it's healthy. You know, all of these are opportunities. They say when you're on the plane, put your mask on before you put your kid's mask on so that you can take care of your kids. It's Mm -hmm. the same way across the board. You want to model that behavior. And so we're here to help you understand what that model can look like and what you can achieve because we believe in you. It is possible. If you're not a wealthy single mommy right now, you could be one by the end of this year. It's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. And so let us help you. Or on your way, you know, on your way, but you have to like, you have to be able to, this is new life, right? Like, let go of these old ideas, let go of him, let go of the crap your parents are saying to you about your fertility or whatever nonsense. It's asking a lot of people, you're feeling vulnerable and alone in this new phase. And we're asking you to shed even more, but it's, it, it's good. It's, it, you'll be fine. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Emma. I'm always so glad when we're able to connect and find us at anrlaw.com. And this has been Divorce Healthy. We'll be on with our next guest. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divorce Healthy, your guide to mastering conflict resolution at home and in the workplace. To inquire about speaking engagements, purchase your copy of Ashley Nicole's book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, or to schedule your private orientation meeting, head to www.anrlaw.com. You can also find us on social media at ANRLaw. Find a better way forward right here on Divorce Healthy.